marathon running is not just, a, you know, it's not just what I do, like for on my spare time. It's a big part of who I am. Um, it's a big part of my identity as a person. Kia ora koutou. That was Andy Jones Wilkins. I'm Matt Raymond. And I'm Eugene Bingham. This is Dirt Church Radio. Interesting conversations with interesting women. Hey, you can do lockdown yeah. loops as a wild things challenge now. So, look, it's been a couple of weeks and, and we're a bit... It's good that we've got new stuff to talk about in the ads. What's a lock... I mean... I think I have an understanding of what a lockdown loop is, but now there's a challenge. Can you yeah. explain that to me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you just, just um, clock up any loop or out and back run within the Auckland lockdown region, and this is like geo-locked-in, uh, yep. and you're in with the chance to grab Wild Things Prize worth $198. It's an oddly specific amount of money. Well, what, it's, a what, very, what? It's, it's good. It's good, you know. You... you, you, you you know what you're aiming for, you know, uh, and you can do things like you can post photos as well, uh, right. which summarises your your running in lockdown. If you post them to Instagram and use the hashtag hashtag Wild Things Lockdown, you can get fifty yep. bucks to spend in the Wild Things shop. Um, nice, you know. And this is all if you are a VIP member. Which ah. now to become a VIP member with some what extra, what you do, what yep. you do is you use the code DCR. 2021, and that gets you 15 months for the price of 12. And it works Rob's out. Everyone's happy. everyone's happy. Rob's happy. We're happy. You're happy because you get your extra three months for free. Um, access to all the benefits of access to the, the benefits. Thing store. Yeah. And chance to go in the draw for a $198, not a $200, not a $195. Well, no, no, if, not, that's not a draw. That's if you win. The lockdown right. loop challenge, you know. How do you um, but actually, the the thing is too, Rob. Since taking over um, the wild things thing, he's he's had a look at the way that the challenges work, and um, he's added a really clear summary of of how they do work. So so if you want to check that out, go to have a look at wildthings.club and and search about wild challenges, and you can find a really good explanation of it. Um, you can also while you're there, go and use the old uh, store, get your discount. Um, make use of the library. I think the library's moved from from Mallon Sales Place to Rob's now. Cool. That's how it works. The Wild Things Wild Things Library. Um, but yeah, all those benefits of being a VIP member of Wild Things. Do it. I'm DCR twenty twenty one. Yeah. This has been dragging on a bit. Uh, not just these ads. However, the current situation uh, mm. that we're all going through, and one of the I am appreciating simple joys, and one of the things that I appreciate is my Ultra Spire Zygos 4 vest. I can't speak highly about it enough. I wore it this morning. I loved it when I got it. I love it now. If you go to ultraspire.co.nz, check out their range of packs, and they have been a supporter of the show since day one, so please, you know, go show them some love. We'd really appreciate it. It helps them out. Um, and show we them feel some the love. Better. And, and you get some, some love yeah. as well because you, you'll have something to love. Your Zygos 4, you will love it. You will oh, love any ours. number of, yeah, oh, true. We love our, 
True. Any number of, of the, the waste lights. They're, they're just Ultraspire, just a fantastic company. And uh, yeah, been in it with us from day one. So if you go to ultraspire.co.nz and check out the, the range of packs they've got there, you, you won't be disappointed. Mm. Tell you what, how else to not be disappointed. How? Check out Further Faster. Yeah, if Further Faster. Altatahi Christchurch. Get along to the store. Uh, but if you're not, jump on the website, furtherfaster.co.nz. Have a look at all the goodies that they yeah. sell. So many good things. Go on, go on Instagram and have a look. They're running a Auckland-specific challenge for us. Uh, those of us who, you know, perhaps our adventuring has been curtailed slightly, um, go check out the details on their Instagram. And just a fantastic group of people. Uh, they are knowledgeable. They are, we, we both got some jackets the other day and we were saying, you know, we gave them a list of requirements and they, they really did kind of tailor what we wanted. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, you know, we got, we got just the ticket for both of us really. So, mm. um, so knowledgeable, so involved in the community and they, you know, they, they give back in so many different ways, yeah. don't they? So, you know, support, support those who support others, I guess. They've got something like further, faster, they're in Christchurch, Rocky is hairy and so is Badger, Jules is nice and Jack is delicious, go to further, faster now. Go further, faster, they're in Christchurch, Rocky is hairy and so is Badger, Jules is nice and Jack is delicious, go to further, faster now. Church Radio. Hello Eugene. Kia ora, Matt. Episode 164. Kia. We made it. We did. We did. Oh, my goodness. We're and, still socially what... distanced. You're in your bedroom. <laughs> I'm in my bedroom. But, hey, we made it. We made it. Yeah, we did indeed. And it just seems like there's a quote from our guest, Andy Jones-Wilkins, uh, that, that really sums it up, I think, how everyone, well, how I'm feeling, is in that it feels like we are two-thirds of the way through just a slog. And it's just... It's... We're There's slogging. definitely lots of ultramarathon connotations. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and analogies to be drawn. Yeah, yeah. I'm slightly chafed and disp- yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, right. That's right. How's that's your right. How's your chafing? I'm annoyed. I, everything... I forgot the tape on my nipples. God damn it! That's right. <laughs> damn it! But I mean, uh, goodness me. Oh look! I, anyway, how's how, a, have, how you got a, you got an infection? You got a tooth infection? Yeah, I've got a tooth infection. Oh my so that, goodness! That, that's been. Uh, it's it's really made the week just it just keeps on giving you know it's like <laughs> a week of week of PM shifts and a Friday night uh, tooth pain waking up on Saturday morning with a face the size of a, be- a beach ball, um, you know one of those a, a very ex- a very expensive one minute and forty second phone consultation with the doctor and some antibiotics and a, a trip to the dentist on Monday but you know it's it is what it is, I guess, but um, you know that that that's that's very much life. It hasn't really it hasn't really stopped me running or doing anything like that. But it's right. just a a, a a pain in the butt. Uh, yeah, I mean, how it, you've been enjoying getting yeah, back I, in the forest. I haven't. You know, interestingly, I have uh, kept on. You know, with the forest being closed for such a long time, and we yeah. ran there last weekend. I ran on the roads all week because I've decided that it's actually a really nice, like it, it's good sort of 
uh, it's a good mental shift. I'm enjoying it. I, I'm getting a lot out of it. So I spend my weekdays on the roads and mm-hmm. my weekends in the forest. But I, I got the chance to go in there yesterday. Um, and man, people were getting after it. There were so many people out on bikes. It's so really cool socially. This you know, like right, people playing by the rules. Yeah. And I, I ran into these uh, two young women at the end of the end of the run, coming down the last kilometre mm-hmm. on. Um, on, on Forestry Road, and one was in a blue squadron T-shirt, one was in a black squadron T-shirt, and they both had party hats on. And I, saw, as I came up to them, I was like, "What? What are you up to?" You know. And they were out. Uh, I think their names are Rebecca and Elena, and they were doing a sixty k uh, training run because Topol was cancelled. Right. And they both, you know, they're both sort of they're training for Tarawera, and they were out. And this was like so one about two thirty, three o'clock in the afternoon. They started in the morning. And it was, it was warm. Hot, yeah, yeah. So they were out there just kind of nutting it out, and they were going back Fantastic. to the car for their last much. Like, and I thought about you and Saywan and all the kind of the preparation that you did for the, you know, for your hundred mile uh, run the, all those couple of years ago, and and just how how cool it was. And they were, they were heading back, you know, the the same sort of aid station that you you used Doing to the do. They were going back yeah. to the car for another loop. Yeah, yeah, it's just. Yeah. It nice. was fantastic. And what about nice. what about you, man? Yeah, yeah, yeah I've been good. I, I um, I've been, speaking of loops, um, yeah. So I'm still preparing for this 24 hour race, um, which will hopefully go ahead. But I don't know. I'm kind of touching go as to whether it will in about a month's time. So that's meant, um, yeah, loops at, for instance, Trust Stadium this morning. Did good, good, solid five hours. Ran it around. Started at five o'clock. How no many, one there. How many loops is that? I don't know. <laughs> on the Strava, it just looks like it's really been coloured in quite well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. are you enjoy? Are you enjoying the? I I am enjoying the, the process. The, yeah. yeah, it's it's um, I am I am. It's kind of having to learn to just be in the moment where you are. Um, and I'm using um, Coach Mark has got me on a on a run walk strategy. Uh, and making sure I eat regularly and drink regularly and so on. So there's lots to m- manage, if you like, you know. Right. Keeping an eye on, on um, obviously I have my watch set for the various times that we've been trying out for the running and walking phases. Um, so there's lots there's lots going on. So I, people go, oh, doesn't it get boring? So, well, I don't really have time to get bored. <laughs> um, how does it? Kind of. I was going to say, how does it, how does it, like, A, how does it compare? I mean, because when you started running, you know, years ago, you just were like fast marathon time, fast marathon time, yeah. fast marathon time. So that must be a real shift, right? In terms of because you've always been amazing at sort of setting. Pa- well, well, it's a different. I did a different paradigm. Yeah, it's it's the same same thing. It's the same thing. You got to figure out the pace because you know to run a good marathon, you don't want to be going fast. You want to be going just right, and it's the same in this. I'm having to learn. What's the pace that I'm going to be able to sustain for forty, you know, twenty four hours? Um, so it's yeah, I'm I'm enjoying, uh, I'm I'm learning something. You know, I've I've run for almost my entire life, and now I'm learning something new, and it's 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 good, it's invigorating. You know, so whether the race goes ahead or not doesn't matter. I've got something out of it. I've enjoyed it. Yeah, and talking, also, how do you about, if you sorry? Oh no, I want what well, I'll ask the questions here. Thank you, Eugene. Um, <laughs> When you're, do you, you know, have so to you're have doing a spotlight in my eyes, though. I mean, you know, we are socially distanced, but do you really have to have the spotlight in my eyes? <laughs> That's no, no, I didn't, uh, I didn't mean you to, to turn the... your light off. 
There we go. Well, it does look like a spotlight. But like the the thirteen and two. So you're running for thirteen minutes, drinking for or walking for two. That's one of the what, one of the ones that I've tried. Yeah. Or or whatever combination sure. you're doing. Yeah. What's your nutritional? Are you? Is it every half hour? Is it every hour? Is oh, it so, you feel hungry? Well, so no, no, no. It's very regimented. Um, <laughs> so I eat on the half and the hour, and then I've been um, making sure I drink something on the quarter and the quarter two, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and sometimes those quarter and quarter twos have included like a bit of tailwind. Um, yeah. Sometimes they're just electrolytes. Uh, so yeah, I've been trialing stuff, you know, it was interesting wow. talking to, to Robbie Johnson last week, sorry, not Robbie Johnson, Robbie Britton last week. We didn't talk to Robbie Johnson. We could talk to Robbie Johnson, but anyway, Robbie Britton last week uh, around the importance of nutrition. And that's been, um, you know, something that, uh, is really central to a 24 hour race, you know? So that's, yeah, like I said, I'm enjoying learning something. Exciting. Mm. Mm. So exciting. Yeah. Uh, and, and speaking of learning things through your running life, yes. educator Andy Jones-Wilkins is on oh the show. Oh, my goodness. Look at that segue. Legend. Yeah. No, that's an amazing segue. Hey, your hair's getting a bit long, by the way. Um, it is. I got the <laughs> it, it, Yeah. We both look like the wreck of the hospice. Um Andy Jones-Wilkins, what a legend. So for those of you who don't know you know the golden and, and can we call it that now but it's that sort of the golden age of ultra marathon running you know yeah. uh seven consecutive top 10 finishes a second a fourth uh 10 years on uh i run far writing you know ajw's tap room which is an amazing column mm. that he does he's a be- he's a beautiful writer he's an educator uh and he's a lifelong runner you know involved at the at the get-go with trail runner nation um yeah. just a legend of a legend of our culture, and what a conversation we just had with him. He's just a fantastic, fantastic dude. So yeah, yeah I'm, I'm yeah. so stoked about that. Right, I think we should skip to uh, stuff you should know. Don't you think? Do it. All right. Do it. There you go. Hey, look, uh, Big's backyard ultra is underway. Um, we're not going to lie because we're talking in the past. This is a long, long time to go. They're only 12 hours into it. So, you know, that's talk about stages of an ultra marathon. That's the, the very start. But, you know, we're excited for Katie Wright is, is, yep. is back there, uh, you know, still, still going strong at this stage. Um, you know, but other guests that we've had on, Courtney Dewalter, Maggie Gattel, Fast Dave. Dave Fast Proctor. Dave he's, Proctor. He's still being Fast Dave. What's he? What's his? Uh, uh, can his you see fastest time loop average? is thirty-eight forty-six. Wow! Um, <laughs> and his average is forty-seven thirty-seven, which are both faster than anyone else, of yeah. course. Um, so yeah, fast Dave, Dave Proctor. Um, so that's going to be interesting. To see how it goes yeah. because it's like everyone's been in hibernation for a couple of years, and now they've come back together in Tennessee. That's right. That's right. I mean, obviously, you know. Katie Wright is a firm favourite of ours. Um, of course. It's, it's sad not to see Will there, Will Haywood. Yeah, yeah. Or, or just explain, just in case anyone doesn't know. So one 4.1667 mile loop uh, per hour, you've got to be there at the start. The, the winner is the last person standing. 
um, so that and and that you know everyone else is a gets a DNF. But um, yeah, Will Hayward, who did so well in the last edition, um, yeah, he's he's not there this year. He couldn't make it because of the travel restrictions and so on. Mm. But he's mm. up to something else. Uh, yeah, so he says, today I should be on a plane to Tennessee to run Big's backyard. Rather than mope, I'll just have to run around my backyard here instead. The plan is to do Andre's 4 and 4 challenge, and it says unofficially, starting Friday, doing one trail per day in the order Lantau, Wilson, HK, uh, McElhose, uh, forward direction. Each day starts at 4 a.m., no poles, no aid stations, all self-sufficient, no time pressure, no FKT attempt, just four days on the trails. I just need to finish the Mac in 20 hours on the last day to finish by midnight. Total of about 295 kilometers and 14,000 meters. So that's like, goodness me, that's like 45,000 feet or so of elevation. However, I'll break two of Andre's rules. One, I'll take headphones. And two, since Biggs is social, I see no need to go solo if anyone wants to join for a section or a trail, then send me a message. Be great to have company. I'll also ask you to consider supporting for a couple of great causes. And he said the details will follow in a day or so. Man, so it's good to see that people are just taking that spirit of what we do and, 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 you know, and and moving forward with it, mm. yeah. So, and of course, fantastic. so Will couldn't make it over there. Um, you know, Chris Bisley couldn't make it over there. Uh, no. Adam Keane couldn't make it over there. So, you know, a couple of Kiwi representatives um, short at Biggs, but um, Katie right there, waving the flag. Definitely. And look, we've been talking about Christchurch woman Harita Davies, who's running yeah. the Shrecham Noise Self Transcendence three thousand one hundred mile race in New York City for the third time. Um, Upon completion of this year's race and this pending her her completing it, um, she'll hold the second greatest amount of finishes from any woman in history and remain the eighth woman to ever complete the race. Yeah, so they're into week six, and she's still still in fourth. Uh, she's completed four thousand kilometers. Um, oh my gosh! You know, two thousand five hundred miles. So another six hundred miles to go. Um, wow. Wow, wow, yeah. wow. Amazing. And, and and for those of you wondering, like, where do you run 3,100 miles? It's around a single city block. Yeah. So I'm not sure of actually the the distance of that block, but if you think about running around your block for a total of 3,100 miles, that's mm. that's what that's what they're up to. Yeah, yeah. So from 6 to midnight every, every, every day. So, wow. Anyway, go Harita. We're keeping, uh, we're just cheering for you, cheering for you. Right. Uh, might as well play this jingle because we haven't for a while. Race results. Race results. We had some races to talk about, and I'm sure that the jingle's still going on as I'm talking over it. Is it, it is. fading out yet? Yeah, but there that's we okay. go. Race results. It was the final of the Golden Trail series. Uh, race, just A, it's beautifully shot. Yeah. You know, the, the marketing is fantastic. B, everyone just looks super fit. And C, they appear to just absolutely get after it when they're running. <sighs> so, I mean, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, the final. 2,800 meters of vert and hot canarian sun for the yeah, final. Amazing. Wow. Wow. 
So uh, taking out that race was Maud Matthews, uh, Salomon uh, in four hours, five minutes and 30 seconds. Then it was uh, Nienke Brinkman uh, of the Netherlands in four hours, 10 minutes and 56 seconds. And Ane Sabri of France in 4.24.41. Our own Caitlin Fielder was 10th in 5.08, which left her in 11th overall for the series, which is an amazing result. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic. Uh, for the men, Francesco Pupi won in 358.17. The boat, uh, Baronian, uh, four hours and five seconds. Yes, Anders Kajavec from Norway, 409.35 for third. Yeah. Amazing. And we can't, like, obviously... Uh, it does truncate things, and we're used to reading out more races because, you know, in Aotearoa, there's such a vibrant kind of scene, but we hope that everything can get back up and, uh, you can't do it without a pun, get back up running or get back up on your feet uh, in yeah. no time. So Indeed, indeed. We'll wait then. All right. Greatest, Greatest run, run ever. ever. Greatest run ever. Greatest run Greatest ever. Greatest run ever. Which is the part of the show where we ask you to write in and tell us your greatest run ever. It doesn't have to be a race or a mountain summit. It could just be a run around the block, something that's sung, for you, sung to you for some reason. You can send them in to us at dirtchurchradio at gmail.com. And this is from uh, brother nurse Tony Aston, um, who's had a greatest run ever before. But what we love, I guess, is that, that we've been doing this long enough that people are having more greatest yeah, runs ever. They're and reconsidering their greatest runs ever. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> So he says, I've already sent you a greatest run ever, but I recently had a run that was possibly even greatest. Oh, well, hang on. Uh, He's saying possibly. Uh, I don't know. Do we need to? This might need to go to the jury. I'll allow allow it. it. So the main reason that this latest run felt so amazing is that it was my first run post-COVID. First of all, let me say I'm extremely fortunate. I'm lucky to live in a time of unprecedented vaccine development, and I'm lucky to live in a place where those vaccines are readily available in the good old US of A. Being a nurse, I was fortunate enough to be able to get my first dose of the vaccine back in December. I'm also lucky to be in fairly decent shape with no major underlying chronic health issues. But despite the vaccine and being one of the weirdos still wearing a mask at the grocery store, thankfully they're becoming more common again, my luck briefly ran out. My symptoms were mild and nonspecific. Dull headache, mild nausea, maybe some soreness. Am I sick or is this just what they, what being an adult feels like? Well, I have a 5K to host this and run this weekend, which was the hotter than Haiti.com. If anyone wants to donate to a great cause, we've had that in the past on the show notes. And he says, I was flying to Denver for my friend's wedding the next week, so maybe I should just go out and get tested for the hell of it. Spoiler alert, I tested positive. Man, I can't imagine how... F- like. Personally, for me, I can't imagine how frightening that would be, but Mm. oh man. So what followed was 10 days of misery, not due to my symptoms, but the misery of quarantining with depression. To be clear, I was extremely lucky to have mild symptoms and no serious threat of being hospitalized or worse. The insidious nature of depression, though, is that it doesn't care if your life is objectively pretty okay. Having all my basic needs met almost seems to give my brain more space to wallow in self-pity. I was too depressed to read or do much of anything constructive. On top of that, there was the nagging feeling of being a spoilt brat. All I had to do was sit at home and chill for a few days. Why can't I just be grateful without turning this into a pity party? I'll spare you the rest of the details, but in short, I was not feeling super jazzed about the prospect of being alive. Finally, though, on August 21st, one day after I turned 36, my quarantine ended and I knew exactly what I wanted to do. 
I laced up my shoes that morning and I started a slow run with my dog up and down the hills of my neighborhood. It was 85 degrees that day, which is almost 30 degrees Celsius in our money, and the sun seemed brighter than usual. After a couple of miles, my dog was done, but I was just getting started. Believe it or not, this is my favorite running weather, so I dropped my dog off at the house and went right back out the door. I promised myself not to go too far that day, but a slow eight-mile meandering through town gave me a taste of the feeling of being able to run endlessly. I felt alive again, like life was worth living. I don't know how to end this without sounding super dramatic, but let's just say I'm glad it was so hot that day. Maybe those tears just looked like sweat to the casual observer. And he says... Pro tip, I'm not a stranger to depression, but this episode definitely caught me off guard. I'm in the process of making a checklist for when this sort of thing happens again. I'm a huge fan of checklists. It's way easier to go through a tangible list of things that tend to help. For example, what are the three things that you're grateful for? Breathing, meditation for five minutes. What are five green things that you see around you right now? Um, Donate at least $5 to a cause, etc. Instead of just flailing around for answers when you're already in crisis mode. And he says, do you have any non-running go-to things like this in your proverbial toolkit, Tony hmm. A? Well, yeah, I do. I use breath work. I use uh, yep. decades of stuff, counting. counting. Um, I think mm-hmm. that the three, uh, the five green things you see is really, it's a really great way to, uh, or you could do it with any color. So what are five round things that you can see? What are five uh, other things that you can see? And, and it draws your attention away from your immediate emotional state. Right, yeah. But thanks, Tony. Tony, that's that superb. Was... Look, I, I, the jury definitely allows that one. That's that's a that's a that's a great greatest run ever. Thank you, Tony. Um, yeah, have, have a fright, really frightening time, and um, a reminder that we are, you know, we're lucky. We're lucky. So, um, yeah, thank you for sending that in. It must. Yeah, the, I can imagine how how great it would have been to do that run. Mm, mm. Right, well, look, continuing from a legendary greatest runner ever into our legendary guest, um, Andy Jones-Wilkins, or AJW as he's known, is, as I said at the top of the show, a legend in our sport. Uh, he's been he, over 190 ultra marathons, goodness knows how many other races, uh, part of the sport for 30 years, um, seven con- consecutive top 10, not consecutive, actually, seven top 10 finishes at West, no, it was seven consecutive, seven consecutive top 10 finishes at Western States, um, a, a writer, and just, a, like he says, he's an educator, uh, he's head of a school, uh, and, and and that really comes across in this conversation, so, you know, uh, please, please enjoy this legendary conversation with Andy Jones-Wilkins. Radio. All right, we've got a very special treat. Um, Today, we have Andy Jones-Wilkins with us from the mountains of Pennsylvania. Kia ora, Andy. How are you doing? I'm doing great, and it's great to be with you all. I hope you're doing well as you're welcoming spring down under. Yeah. it's. I mean, it, it, it has been. I mean, it's typical Auckland weather. It's kind of cloudy, but muggy. But, yeah, definitely the, the grass is right. You know, the, the sap is rising, which is quite nice. And you, I mean, you all are because that's the way that hemispheres work. You're heading into fall now. Um, we this? are heading into fall, and the and the leaves are falling off the trees, and we're all trying to cram in our last few weeks of training before winter sets in. And so, uh, yeah, it's 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 fun. Uh, it's it's what it is. So, what once winter once winter does set in for you, what does that mean in terms of trail access and getting outside? 
Well, it, it just means you have to plan for it and go a lot slower. <laughs> but you still have to get outside, right? I mean, I mean, I mean, I've always been a guy who just gets outside. So I've lived in a lot of different places. I've had snow, I've had wind, I've had uh, rain, but uh, you just have to plan for it and, and know that, uh, I don't know, from he, at least here in Pennsylvania, from eh, probably early December to late February, you're going to be slogging through some snow, some mud, some slush, some ice. You're going to wake up one morning and feel like, oh my gosh, I can't possibly go out there. The rain is falling sideways and I don't even know what to do, but you get out there and you do it anyway. So, I mean, I, I, that's that's kind of what we do here. How's the summer been for you uh, this season? Um, seems like it's been the great sort of reopening up in the in the United States of of racing and people coming together. How's that been? It it has definitely been a great reopening up, um, I, and I've availed myself to a lot of that. Uh, I ran my first 12-hour race. I'd never done a timed race before. I did that a couple of weeks ago. I've I've done a couple of other like 50ks and 50 milers. I, I you know it's 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 cautious, but it's also you know one of the one of the nice things about running in the United States is that we do have these places that are just pretty isolated and remote. So when I when I think, for example, of a 50K I did actually on my birthday, so September 25th, it was in a it was in a recreation area, maybe an hour from where I live. And and they had, a, a, of course, a lot of covid protocols in place and and maybe a hundred, a hundred people or so showed up. And and we had instructions about you know when to show up and what we had to do with respect to masking and so forth. But you know, the event went off without a hitch and it was beautiful and it was a beautiful day on the trails and in late September here in, in uh, Pennsylvania and it was awesome. So I think, I think like the rest of the world, frankly, the ultra running world is taking, we wanted to jump right back into it. And I think what we're doing instead is kind of cautiously treading our way back into it. And and I really like that. It's it, it's felt good to me. Mm. It's a yeah. It's an adjustment, isn't it? We we naturally have to go through that after the the pandemic and everything. I heard you mention the um, you talked about the twelve hour race on on TRN. Uh, I think the, the current episode actually it sounded really interesting. It was on a, a mile loop, and was that was it a big event? Was it a? Can you describe it a bit more? Well. It was not a big event at all. It was, uh, so it was a one mile loop uh, and, and they allowed 100 entrants into the six hour, 12 hour and 24 hour. So the figure plus or minus, I, I think there were 20 people in the 20, in the 24 hour maybe 25 people in the 12 hour and the rest in the six hour. And it was a one mile loop in a beautiful pastoral farmland near where I live here in Pennsylvania. And Oh my gosh, it was incredible. 
incredible. It was absolutely, inc- it was a perfect early autumn day. The, 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 the aid station, granted, 100 people. There were probably, there were probably more than 200 people supporting those 100 people, right? Whether it was their own crews that they brought in or the people who, who were working the aid station that you got to every mile. I mean, it was extraordinary. And, and I felt like after, after being treated to that experience, granted, I'm still recovering from it because it was a long day out there and, you know, my, my body doesn't recover as well as it used to, but man, that was just so great. And, and, and what it made me think about is you can, one can create a small event in a, in a, in a nice little place without having to deal with permits and, 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 uh, you know, dealing with bureaucracy and still just create a fantastic ultra marathon experience. And that's what I experienced at the Red Barn Challenge for sure. I mean, you seem to have an affinity with, well, I mean, I guess the people know, people know you for lots of reasons, you know, 10 years of taproom. Congratulations on that, by the way. But, you know, your seven, seven top 10 finishes at Western States. I mean, that's, again, that's a race that had a, a, a real sort of niche, begin, not niche, but small field and a very kind of personal feel to it. So my question is, is, is what, what, over your career, what, what do you prefer in terms of, do you like the, the sort of the bigger races where there's a bit more hype and a bit more kind of structure or, or what have you, or, or do you have more of an affinity for these kind of races, which are, like you said, it's a, someone just putting on a, a good old time. I, I may have a unique experience at Western States because to me, Western States has always felt like an intimate uh, hometown race. But part of that is because of like timing and place and the, and the, and the nature of who I am. I mean, I, 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 I first, I ran my first Western States in 2001. It was not all that difficult to get into then. Uh, I then proceeded to run the race a bunch of other times as, as it, as it grew and, and became what it is today. So the feeling this is my challenge. This is my challenge with this sport and where it is right now. And, and I think is the essence of your question. I, I have felt the essence of ultra running at Western States. And I've also felt it at something like the Red Barn Challenge or some fat ass that somebody of mine puts on on a weekend in January, right? So what what's what what I love about this sport is there's room for all of that. Um, I would I wouldn't trade for the world my experiences at Western States, and I know Western States has changed and evolved over the years. But you know, from my experience as a guy who just runs ultra marathons and has run them, you know, for thirty years, uh, I think there's room for both. So. I know it's a it's a kind of a cop out answer, but I think there's a way for these events, whether it's Western States, Hard Rock, Terrawera, UTMB, to celebrate the experience 
of what it means to be in this ultra running culture in the same way that, you know, Red Barn Challenge and and uh, the, the the race I did on the uh, at the Delaware Water Gap or any number of hundreds of ultras where someone just paints a line in the sand and says go and runs. Uh, and so 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 for me, I mean, I I don't get me wrong. I love Western states. It's going to be it's it's part of me. It's it's been a part of me since I started in this sport, and it will be a part of me till I leave the sport. But there's a whole lot of room for all kinds of other stuff. Mm. It's interesting you mentioned Tarabera, which went through that obviously on a different scale, but that same sort of transformation that Western states did started out as a very small event with Paul you know, organizing it out of the back of the boot of his car and living on gels because he had to, he didn't have any money to, <laughs> to get by to becoming quite a big event and then bought by Ironman. And at that point, everyone, you know, I guess there was a little bit of people worrying the sky was going to fall in, but what remained was the, the essence. Nobody took that away. You know, that, that still stayed the same. The, the community that had grown around Tarawera remained and that remains very, very special. Um, and at the same time, as you say, it doesn't it didn't suck the oxygen out of racing in New Zealand. There are still plenty of little races, great little races. Well, when I say little races, even some big races that still have that hometown feel. So yeah, we can exist. But I guess when I try and put my finger on what is it? What is that essence that makes it special? What is it that makes that we can turn up at Tarawera and still feel like we're running it? Matt's Riverhead Rampage race in the Riverhead Forest with, you know, a small race. What, what, have you figured that out? What makes it, what is the essence? Well, I, I, I do want to, I do want to take a moment to talk about Paul and, uh, and, um, you know, I remember first meeting Paul at, on the Western States course. Um, it was probably 2007, 2008. I was on a training run there. And, and, and he tracked me down. Uh, he, uh, he reached out to me. He, he, he understood, he understood kind of the universe of ultra marathon running at the time. Maybe he was ahead of himself in that way. And, and I, and I loved my, I mean, he even lived here in the United States for a few years and it was, it was just a, it was a very, it was a very, it was a heady time in the, in the, and, and this kind of the evolution of, of where we are as a sport right now. I mean, I, I think, I think there are three things. Ultimately, I think there are three things that are going to make the culture stick, right? The first is having like staying power of an event. You know, you, you, people are going to want to, they, they don't want to go do something that's like going to be canceled in three years or, or it's going to go. So, so there's going to be staying power of the event. There's going to be that, that history, that tradition. You can't build that from scratch, but like, that's what Tara Wera did kind of surprisingly on the total other side of the world, but modeled after the Western States sort of vision. So you're going to want to have that. You're also going to want to have some names at the event, right? You're going to want to have some people. It doesn't necessarily mean elite runners at the front, but you're going to want to have some people there that are going to draw attention to it, that are going to make people think, oh, this is a cool thing. This is fun. This is going to be a whole weekend. 
this is like, I, I'm willing to drop a couple thousand dollars to go to this thing. And then third, and this is maybe the most important, you're going to want to build a culture from the ground up. You know, and, and by culture, I mean, you're just going to want people to be like, oh, as soon as I as soon as I can sign up, I'm going to want to sign up uh, for next year. And, 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 and I think that I think that ultra marathon running, at least here in the United States, and, and granted, I should say to the listeners, I've never raced internationally. I, I just haven't had the time and bandwidth and in the rest of my life to be, be able to do that. I've raced, you know, 190 ultra marathons. They've all been in the United States. I would say that the culture of what keeps us together, the, the, the community that binds us together is what races really need to pay attention to. So whether they do that through whatever they do pre-race or post-race or, I mean, take Paul, for example, and I know it's become big at Tarawera, but, you know, doing the ceremony at the beginning of the race at Tarawera to, to open up the world to Maori culture in New Zealand is really, really smart for him to do that and his people to do that. And, and I think we could learn from that. Uh, here in the United States. And so I guess I guess I want to say, most of all, bring the community together, have something that's grounded in something bigger than themselves, and then give them a good time. Mm. Mm. And uh, there's that just, I mean, I don't want to make it the, the Paul, more than the Paul fan show than it already is, but uh, because we are huge fans of Paul and we always go on about him, don't we, Matt? But, but there's something about his authenticity too. And other race directors have it here in Aotearoa, but not only is he, he's genuine about including local Māori. He's also the guy who will be, you know, he's he's still got an association with the race and he'll be there at four o'clock in the morning at an aid station. Uh, I mean, I was, I was sitting in a, sitting in one of the aid stations and Paul brings me a cup of tea, you know, he's, and, and that people get that, don't they? They, they figure out, oh yeah, these, they're genuine. There's there's a connection here. This is not just some money making exercise or something. It's it's a it's a culture. It's a there's an authenticity about it. And 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 I will say all the way on the, on our side of the world. I mean, when I think of the people associated with Western states, you know, my most beloved race. You know, there are people there are people who have volunteered at that event. Nobody, nobody knows their name. Nobody, they don't have social media. They don't, but they show up every single year and, and pitch their tents at the aid station. They don't, they don't expect anything of that. that, that that's just what they do. Um, and, and I see it at Hard Rock as well. I see it at Wasatch, at Vermont, at our other big, uh, Leadville, our other big uh, United States hundred mile races. Like there's these people and they're, and they're in many ways, they're bigger than the event, right? They just show up. Don't, don't even get me started on the ham radio guys, right? Who, who make sure, <laughs> who make sure that, that everyone gets off the mountain safely, you know, when, when something bad happens. So I think that's what we, 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 
we must stay true to our core if we're going to continue to see the sport evolve and grow in the way that it has over the past decade. Mm. I mean, speaking of evolution, you talked about this, you know, 190 ultras, goodness knows how many other races on top of that and just days running. You know, you've, you've spoken about you've moved into into middle age now. How's running changed for you and, and, and what's it given you through that change? Well, I've realized that the front and back of the pack has a lot more fun. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when I was... When I was in the front of the pack, it was it was really it was chaotic. It was, uh, you know, I, I enjoy the place I am as a runner right now. It, it I had to check my ego at the door. You know, I I run a I run a five or uh, an eight k run right now. Eight k run takes me an hour. You know, and there was a time an eight k run took me forty minutes. So, I mean, that's, that's, uh, that, that you got to kind of like live with that and, and digest that and deal with that. But, you know, people ask me, AJW, why do you keep showing up for events? You know, you're, you're in the middle of the pack and the back of the pack. And I was like, well, I still love being part of the pack, right? <laughs> you know, being part of the pack is better than being, you know, out of the pack. And so for me, uh, honestly, ultra marathon running is not just, a, you know, it's not just what I do, like for on my spare time. It's a big part of who I am. Mm -hmm. um, it's a big part of my identity as a person. And so if I can, like I'm going out to Havelina 100 in a couple of weeks in, in Arizona. And I'm, you know, and, and contrast to 15 years ago when somebody else would have paid for my flight and my entry fee and all that, I'm not, I'm, I'm, it's all on my dime. Right. But I want to do that. I want to be part of that, that living, breathing experience of being an ultra marathon runner. And, um, and 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 until and, and until I can't do it anymore, you know that's what I'm going to do. And so I, for sure, I have to I have to recalibrate who I am. You know, sometimes I'm almost scared to look at my past results and be like, "Oh my God, I once ran a hundred miler in 16 hours." <laughs> you know, I'm barely to mile 50 in 16 hours these days. But but that's but that's also part of the growth and and I think part of what what the sport needs is there's room for everybody here. It's it's so interesting, isn't it? People talk about and I mean Eugene's been a lifelong runner and I started maybe fifteen yeah fifteen years ago fourteen years ago and people I, I'll run into some people from my sort of before I, it's almost like a pr post and pre right. My, my old life and they say oh, are you still running and it, it, it's such an odd question to ask because it is such you're so right it's not what I do it's absolutely who I am you know it's like people say it's an odd it's almost like if someone it's an odd question if someone would say do you go to the bathroom every day are you still going to the bathroom or do you still brush your teeth or do you still it just becomes such an intrinsic 
part of, of, of who we are. And that's, you're so right. That's what kind of binds us together. Hey, that sense of, that sense of community. Well, and not only that, it, it, it is, um, it's, it's our essence. So even if, even if we're doing it slow, more slowly, and we're doing it in a way that might not impress people in the outside world, we're still doing it because it gives our life meaning and purpose. Mm. And, 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 and to me, if I don't have a life of meaning and purpose, then I, then I wonder, you know, I, I wonder what's next. Whereas when I know, when I know that the first thing I'm going to do when I wake up tomorrow morning is go for a run, you know, maybe it's going to be a three mile run at a really slow pace. Maybe it's going to be a seven mile run at a little faster pace. Maybe it's a long run day that gives my life purpose. And, and, and I, and I think finding purpose and direction Finding purpose and direction in, in a world that can that can be confusing at times and challenging at times is really important. And, and running can ground me in that. So then when I finish that, when it's 7:30 in the morning and I've done that part of my life, then I'm then I'm much more well prepared to deal with whatever the rest of life is going to give me, mm-hmm. whether it's work or family or uh, finances or some something else right there. I have that basis to build on. Mm. And, 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 and I know, look, I know not everybody could understand that, but if, but if, if I have my hour or hour and a half from 5.30 AM to 7 AM, I'm good. I'm actually good for the rest of the day. Yeah. And then I just repeat the next day. And and I think that's an that's an important piece of the puzzle. Absolutely. It just gives you something I if I do miss a run, you know, and we of course we should take rest days and so on as well, but I just feel unsettled. There's something missing. Um something hasn't happened. Um it, and it like you say it helps ground you, helps you know, get on get on with the rest of the day. Um, the other, you mentioned too, the way that your goals change as you go through middle age. And I guess for me, that's meant when it, once upon a time, somebody would have said, what are you training for? And I would have said, oh, you know, whatever the next race was. Now I'm more kind of like, not so much interested in that as, well, what I'm training for is I still want to be running and enjoying running for as long as I can. So Mm. that's the goal for me. It's not so much you know, because there's no point in smashing yourself on the next race, meaning you can't run for six months or 12 months or something. What's, you know, that that's going to be detrimental to me. So yeah, we do, we do adjust, don't we, as we, as we age and mature as runners, I suppose, is the nice way to put it. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's funny you say that. I, I said to my wife the other day, I said, she was asking, you know, how my running was going and whatever, going into Havelina. And I was like, well, you know what? I just want to run smartly enough today so I can run tomorrow. Yeah. 
<laughs> right? And I mean, and and really, isn't that what it's all about? Like, okay, well, maybe I need to, you know, turn around or take it a little easy or walk this uphill so I can run tomorrow. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I think there comes a time in all of our lives where we're like, you know what? Running is what we really want to do. And yes, there's the event on the calendar. There's mm. that thing we want to do. There's that bucket list, whatever. But at the end of the day, we want to just keep running. Yeah. And that's, I mean, the, the uncertainty of COVID has perhaps taught us that because, you know, oh, yeah. there's events that we've both trained for, Matt, and, and that I'm currently training for one that I'm pretty sure is not going to go ahead. But I'm not letting that bother me because it's like, well, it's not wasted. I'm still, you know, I'm enjoying the process of the training that I'm doing. Um, if the event doesn't go ahead, it's not the end of the world. You know, I've still got fit and healthy, kept healthy during this period. So, you know, it's that readjustment that perhaps COVID is, you know, if there's, if there's any positives out of it, <laughs> maybe that's one of them. Mm. I think it's that thing as well. I don't know if you find this, Andy, being an educator, you know, once, and Eugene and I have talked, like well, Eugene just said, you know, like, and I guess we're 12 months, yeah, we're about 12 months behind you guys. We're now looking at, at races, which are stacked for like, in Eugene's case, three weeks, in my case, like seven, eight weeks. And it's looking more and more like they're not going to happen. But that sense of fitness and that sense of well-being that you gain from running must be really helpful in your day job, I think. It is. Um, I think the I think the challenge of these last 18 months has actually been coming to grips with I just need to be the best version of myself. Right. If I if I have this race and, 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 and maybe that's a good lesson for all of us. Like we would, we would love to say, oh, I'm training for Western states or Terrawera or Hard Rock or UTMB or all this stuff, and and if I can't do that, then my whole life is, you know, screwed. No, to be the best version of yourself, you can get out there tomorrow and do those intervals that you plan to do or you can run that uphill that last week you didn't run or you can maybe extend your loop a little bit and add a couple of k's to it and still be good like i think one of the things that covid and this whole is it going to be canceled is it not is it's caused us to turn inward and say mm. you know what i need to take care of myself and, 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 and not only with running, but with like our jobs, with our families, with it's like, OK, what really matters to me? And, and, and for me, yes, I've had the opportunity to run some races here and there. And, and then, but what really it's just like getting out and putting a headlamp on and, and 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 going out and running, because that's what gives my life meaning and purpose. So. I mean, yes, it's we're we're in we are obviously in a slog right now, right? We're we're at we're at mile we're at mile sixty five of a hundred miler. Uh, there's people dropping out left and right. The aid station volunteers are quitting. You know, we're 
even if we dropped out, we might not have a ride back to the finish. Like this whole COVID thing, we're in a slog, but we have to control what we can control. And I think what we can control is I'm going to wake up every morning. I'm going to have my cup of coffee. And I'm going to get out there and get after it. So good. Yep. <laughs> it's, it's, it's something that, uh, that message, it, it does, it gets lost, doesn't it? It's, 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 it's a deceptively simple one. I don't think it's an easy one. It's that just control what you can control. I say that to my kids. I say that to myself, actually. My team, uh, you know, just worry about what you can actually have, what you can influence. I mean, how? what was your start in running? I guess taking it, we probably should have asked that question at the beginning. But um, where, did, where did you start with your journey? Where did it begin? So I was a I was a team sport kid in in high school and college and and then I I met my wife and fell in love with her and she was a bicycle tourist and and she convinced me to ride my bicycle across the United States a couple times and then between 94 and 96 we rode our bikes around the world and when we got back from that trip I was like well how am I going to stay in shape after riding our bikes around the world, we moved to Phoenix, Arizona at the time. And, and, and in 1996 in Phoenix, Arizona, there was a little bit of a trail community there. And, and I started running and, and, um, I ran trails and I ran up hills and down hills and through rocks and everything else. And, and I just fell in love with it. And I realized I was pretty good at it, especially the longer it went. Like I got to the point where I realized, okay, 100 miles is a distance that I can run. I can get my nutrition. I can train for it. I can, you know, have a crew there and, and, and make it happen. And, and, that, and that then happened. And, and then I moved to the San Francisco Bay Area, which as I'm sure anybody listening to this podcast knows is sort of ground central or, you know, ground zero for, you know, trail running in the United States and Western States is right up the road. And, and then I just fell in love with that and got addicted to it. And the kind of the rest is history. So, and, and it just so happened that it was, you know, I was in my early mid thirties when I was there. And so I was, healthy and happy and I had a young family and a supportive spouse and it just took off from there wow so the the uh, it was it was the bike riding that sort of got you to running in a way that was I mean that's an amazing trip yeah because I we biked around the world for two years so every time we every time we did these bike rides I, we would do these. So we went across the United States twice and I would come back and I would get fat. Like I would gain 20 pounds and I, you know, cause I wasn't riding my bike every day. And, and my wife and Shelly said, well, why don't you, you know, try and stay in shape in the winter. And I was like, well, what, what am I going to do? And she said, well, maybe you could run. And so I started running and I started liking it. And uh, I signed up for some like 10 K's and, half marathons and things like that. And the next thing you know, I got into running and I, and then I lost weight 
you know, because that's kind of a thing when you start running, you lose weight. And it's like, well, this makes me feel good. And when I lose weight, I can run faster. And so maybe I can run longer. And and then it just took off. <laughs> it was stop. it was just you know, it was like a dream almost. And yeah. when I look back on it now, you know, because I still I still pretty much have my like weight from the first time I ran Western States, which was 20 years ago, you know, this or this past summer. So it was like, then it just became something that's, that's really where it became more of not something that I do, but something that I am. Right. But it, but it took that kind of five year period of realizing what I wanted to be and what I thought of who I was and, you know, cause I was a basketball player. I played golf. I played soccer. I, you know, I, I didn't think of myself as a runner. Right. Um, and then even when we did all these bike trips, I thought, well, I, I ride my bike and that's what I do for transportation. And, uh, and that's great. But then it just clicked. And I was like, well, this is actually who I am. And I mean, God, now, now I'm stuck with it. Yeah. You, you found your tribe. Yeah. Tell oh, us about, sure. tell us about your first Western States. What do you, what are your memories of that? So my first Western States was in 2001. I got in via the lottery back then, just so you know, so listeners know you pretty much had like a 50-50 chance of getting in. I got in. I, I was living in Arizona at the time. I had run 100-mile race, which was the Angeles Crest 100 in 2000. And I went into the race thinking I could run well and have a good day. And, um and I had a good day up until about mile, about 100K, Forest Hill. Um, my, I, like many Western States newbies, my quads really took a beating. I wasn't, wasn't prepared for the downhills. So by the time I got to the river crossing, which was mile 78, I, I could barely run. Climbing out of of the river crossing, my flashlight batteries died, and they, it was literally a flashlight like held in my hand with batteries. We didn't have all the fancy headlamps we had. I had to beg, borrow, and plead from aid station people to get a light to see me to the end. And and I think it took me about six and a half hours to get from the river crossing. So mile 78 to the finish uh, that year. I, I, I Granted, I finished a respectable 2146 was my time. It was, I got a silver buckle. It was, was great. Um, but at that time I said, I cannot possibly come back to this race until I know how to run it better. We've got a friend who has been trying to get into Western States for a long time and his chances every year get 
even though he gets more entries, the chances sort of get slimmer. He he actually he's a big fan of yours, and I asked him if he had any questions. He he, you just said you know you didn't want to come back until you knew sort of how to run the race. How much time did Western States sort of? How much time do you did you spend thinking about it, going over the course, and does the does the event does it still sort of pay rent in your mind? Oh my gosh, uh, I mean, uh, the the event is is it's ingrained in my in my soul. So, but but uh, after two thousand and one, I did not. I did not enter the lottery or anything in 2002, 2003. I ran uh, four other 100-mile races, the Vermont 100 each of those years and the Angeles Crest 100 each of those years. Uh, and after the Angeles Crest 100 in 2003, I, was, uh, I, I finished uh, well enough uh, again, at the time, to be uh, offered a spot in the 2004 Western States, and I was freaked out at that point. Right, I did not. I, I was like, "Well, I'm being offered a spot. I'm going to have to live up to these expectations and so forth." And and fortunately, I did. I had a good race that year. I finished eighth place. It was a good race. But I think that what what I learned in those three years was that Western states, and I, and I think this is the case for many big iconic races, Hard Rock, UTMB, that uh, you, you, one does need to have a, an almost single-minded focus on them. And, and I did. I mean, granted, let's remember, I lived in the San Francisco Bay Area. I was able to travel up to the course and run, you know, 30-mile training runs on the course and get to know, like, literally how long each section would take and those kinds of things. I was privileged in that way. What I would say to anybody who gains entry to Western states or wants to gain entry to Western states in the future and, and once they get it, is to just savor the opportunity to be in the race and take every every chance they can to set them out, set them up for success, whether that's going to the Memorial Day training camps, uh, talking to people like me about you know, what, what, what it takes to be successful at Western States, like any of that stuff, I would say you've got to do it. Mm. And that's the thing, isn't it? I think, trying to, Matt, you're going to have to remind me here. There's somebody, somebody we spoke to um, who talked about a, a big event like that, a hundred mile event. You almost have to approach it like a campaign. It's not, it's not a race you're entering. It's it a campaign. Chris Bisley. So it was Chris Bisley. You're right. Yeah. Um, and it's, and it seems that that's what you did. You, you became a student of the course. But you also have to do those other things right, don't you? Get your nutrition right. Uh, make sure your, your gear is good and everything and that you're, you're fit and healthy and you've got no injuries or the injuries that you, you might have you're dealing with. Um, 
It's a it's a campaign, isn't it? It's not just a race. Yes, that's a really good word to use because you have to have you 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 have to check. I would say four boxes, right? You have to check the fitness box. You have to check them. You have to have make sure your head's together for it. Then you have to check the nutrition and uh, logistics box. And then you have to check the, you know, intangibles, like the weather's going to be weird or there's going to be snow or not snow or all of that. So if you, it, it, it really is almost like going to battle uh, at a race like that. And, and I think the people who are successful there year after year after year know that. Right. And so they're not afraid. They're not afraid to see some guy go an hour ahead of them uh, because they know they're going to come back or they're not going to come back. And maybe it's going to be a fluke. But, you know, if you've been around Western states or other races that have been around long enough, they know, like, oh, you know, that guy. And, you know, and then occasionally you'll have someone like Jim Walmsley or Ann Trayson that will like be paradigm changers. And that's good. That's good for the sport. That's good for mm. us. And that's good for, you know, what, what, what we learn, you know, and when I think of all my top tens, you know, if I, if I were to take my top 10 finishes at Western States, even my second place finish and put it on like this year's race, it would probably have been like 14th place. Right. But, but there's a time and a place for everything. Right. And so I felt like for me, I just, if I checked those four boxes and I took care of my own business and I was able to drown out the noise, then I was going to be okay. And I think, I think that's one of the big lessons of ultra marathon running in general is that it allows us, if you, if you let it, it allows us to drown out the noise and just be in the moment and run our race. So important. So important. What I love too about about you is how your your willingness over so many years to to not only you know perform and race, but to share your thinking and you know through your writing and and through podcasting and so on. That's it's such a benefit to so many people to be to be so open and so thoughtful and 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 sharing what you know. That's not even a question. Well, That's look, just a, I, a, a, a well, thank you. I, I mean, I, I'm a. I'm an educator. I'm a teacher. Right. You know, at, yeah. the, at the at the end of the day, I'm a teacher. And and from the from the very from the very first day I walked into a classroom when I was 21 years old, I realized, you know, hey, these kids these kids want to know me. They they, they want to know what I have to teach, but in order for me to teach what I want to teach, they have to know me. And I feel that way about wh- wh- however you define my role in the sport. Like I, I think, I think what I love about the the place I have found for myself in the world of ultra marathon running is I run into people all the time. I mean, just like you guys, right? Who've never met me, who may never met meet me in person, and they feel like they know me. I feel like if 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 more people in the world could do that, 
like just just give of themselves so that people feel like they know them, then it'll be a better world, right? Mm-hmm. So so when I when I run through an aid station and people are like, oh AJW AJW, obviously that feels good, but it also feels good to just know that oh well gosh, you know this is a person that maybe has read one of my articles on I run far or heard a trail runner nation podcast and thinks that I'm a good guy. Right. And thinks that what I have to say is meaningful. Like that's pretty cool. Like it's pretty cool that you can just be a person who is a teacher and an educator and a runner and do that stuff. And and that at the end of the day, that means a lot to me. And and I love the fact that when I, it, it, I've I've said to my wife, it's she, she she I said I gotta stop doing out and back courses. And she's like, why? I was like, well, when I do an out and back course, every time I'm coming back, there's all these people who are like, I oh, you know, and 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 eventually I'm not I'm gonna see them when they're coming back and I'm still going out, (laughs) but you know, it's, it's such a rich, deep, meaningful community in so much need of like this feeling of, of love and bonding that, I mean, that's what, that's what I love about it. It's incredible, isn't it? I think if you look and I, can only use sort of my experience, Eugene's experience. You know, A, we have people say to us a lot, you sound just like you do on the podcast, which is a funny thing to say because it's our voice, right? Like I talk how I talk. And someone say, oh, yeah, like you sound like you do on the podcast. It's like like I've got like a completely different accent off the podcast. I thought that was quite an unusual thing. But there's that, that is that sense, isn't it, that, that people know us and people know a lot more about us than we know potentially about them and I've had that experience and, and you have two Eugene at Kepler of running out and people who I don't know are saying hey Matt and sort of you know you get a high five or you get something like that and it's incredibly I also um, get a lot of hey Matt's go Matt as well yeah <laughs> Pe- people can't people have tr- people have trouble telling a, a, but, a, but you guys all sound the same we do <laughs> but no that but there's actually no. There's actually a really. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we are. Though. We do have a very sort of uh, our regional accent is quite strong. But if you were to talk to two two people from the South Island, say down at the you know say the the bottom of the South Island, completely different accent. It's almost you know they roll their R's and there's lots of stuff going on. How I mean your involvement with you know um, with Don and Scott and Traveller Nation. How, how did how did that come about? And, and did you think that it would sort of have the legs that it did? Oh boy. I mean, so the, I mean, the, 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 the best story of that is that I was leaving the Western States lottery in 2009 and Don walked up to, I was, cause I, I, there was a time there. I, I went to the Western States lottery every year to just kind of be there and hang out and enjoy the vibe. And, and, and Don caught up to me and said, hey, we're thinking of starting this podcast. What would you think of being on it? And I, was, I turned to him and said, who are you? And he's never let me forget that. But uh, 
you know, I, I think that what those what Don and Scott have done at Trail Runner Nation is a very is a is a really good example of using ultra marathon skills to build uh, a brand, and that's that they've been patient, you know, and they've 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 very much uh, they they value um, consistency. They value uh, expertise. They value humor. I mean, let's not forget about humor. And and they value the community. And so for now, eleven years, they've done that. And and, and you know, at first, they just were like, "Hey, you know, AJW, come on whenever you want," or you know, "We'll we'll think about you know episodes that we can have you on." And and, and I'm not, I mean, I don't have any, I don't have any skin in the game when it comes to Trail Runner Nation. I just, I love Don and Scott and I want to be part of what they do. And I think their staying power, frankly, is because they're very relational. They're not transactional. Yes, mm. they're ads on the, they're ads on the podcast and those kinds of things. But you feel like, just like I said before, you feel like, you know, when the three of us are sitting around talking, it's like, it's just like you're in the room with us. And, and, and that, that really appeals to people. So uh, I, I want to continue with that. And, and likewise with uh, I run far and AJW's tap mm. room, you know, that's, I, I think I, on, you know, when I started AJW's tap room, which emerged out of my blog, that was um, that I wrote, you know, back in the blog old days, like I, I wanted, I, I really still believe that people love the written word and, and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to stick to that. Like I'm going to keep writing. Eventually I'm going to write my book and all that <laughs> stuff. But, you know, like, like that, both of those relationships, Trail Runner Nation and I Run Far, I mean, those are, that's like the, that's like the core of ultra marathon running, at least in the United States. And, um, and I'm, and, and I feel privileged and honored to have been a part of both of those. Well, I mean, the, I mean, there's no dirt church radio without trail runner nation, right? There's no, they, they were literally one of the first, you know, and it's that foundational thing. You're right. It's such a foundation of the sport. And, and it, it's the same thing. If you turn on, I'm still, you know, my relationship with podcasts has certainly changed producing one and doing it every week. But like I turned on an, uh, an episode the other day and it's like, it's, it's so, you're right. It's so relational. It's so comforting and it's so sort of genial in its nature as well. Just how, mm. just how firm and genial they are. They're just, it's just nice, you know, not to use to, uh, not to, you know, like uh, diminish. The, they're just nice. They seem like nice dudes. And it's a really lovely thing to do. You can sort of put it on and you know what you're going to get. It's wonderful. Yeah. So, look, we, I want to ask you a question because we, we traditionally, at the, at the very end of our podcast, we ask uh, one question of everyone who comes on Dirt Church Radio, and that's what's your greatest run ever. But I know that, you know, AJW's tap room, you have a beer of the week uh, or a beer of the column. And, and so I want to know, do you have a greatest beer ever? Yeah. And, and I will answer that, but I'm going to, because you guys have invited me on, I'd like to 
flip a little bit and and ask guys, how did you come up with the name of this podcast? (laughs) Ah, so there's, we came up and and initially, and and I guess the thing is, is initially we did get quite a lot of religious DMs. You know, like people <laughs> take it as we were somehow we were a church or a ministry. It's it's not that at all. Um, a, it's the the syllables I think sound really cool together. So, do church radio, it rolls off the tongue. B, we wanted something that was different from ultra nation this or trail something that. You know, uh, and C, we have a. Uh, the same friend who asked you the question, his name's Tom, uh, who's been trying to get into Western States forever. On our messenger group, uh, he would refer to going into the, our local forest, Riverhead, as going to, I'm going to go to church on Sunday. So that's what he would say. I'm going to dirt church this Sunday. And when we started, we had the, and we anticipated that, we, you know, three or four people would hear this and it would be our mates on the dirt church uh, group. So we became... Dirt Church Radio. That about sums it up, Eugene. That's yeah. That's about right. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, just it it grew from that that idea that uh, yes, Matt said Tom would express. I'm I'm hitting what what times church? What times church on Sunday? And the, you know what times our dirt church on Sunday? Yeah, um, yeah. And, and we would hit off. And, and, so yeah. But I read this as well. This is Bob 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 Welly's book, Run Wild, and he talks about sort of he goes to the the states. So this is the guitar player from Chumbawamba who it turned out was, you know, he wrote that I get knocked down, I get up again song that everyone knows. He talks a lot in that book about sort of um, pantheism as well. Like you go out into nature and you see the ineffability of existence. So I like how it kind of ties into that as well, because you can't help but go outside and be like, wow. Well, I, I if I could, if I could offer, those are, I, I really appreciate those answers. I'm, I am a, um, ahead of a Quaker school and you, you listeners of this podcast may or may not be familiar with Quakerism, but Quakerism believes it has this focus in this notion that there is that of the divine in every person. And our, my, my three children, my boys, they're 23, 21 and 18. They've been brought up in that tradition. Not, not that they've attended Quaker meeting or anything like that, but this notion that there's that of God in every person. And and about six months ago, I began noticing on my my youngest son, who's 18 years old, Tully, um, was started labeling his Sunday bike rides. He's not a runner, unfortunately, because they've all gone to the other side of the boat from me. Uh, but he would he would ride, he would label his Sunday bike rides as Sunday church. Uh, and it was, it was a group ride with his friends in Durango, Colorado. And, and so I, I, the reason I ask is I love the idea of what you guys have done. And, and obviously dirt church does roll off the tongue. And, um, and I think it's a, it's a very important message to send to young people and old people that we can find um, inspiration. We can find a sense of spirituality. We can even find a connection to something greater than ourselves in lots of different places. Uh, and that's what, when you guys first reached out to me, that's what I really thought about. And that's what I, 
was excited about uh, coming on here today. So I, I know my son Tully will be interested in hearing this podcast. He'll probably be, you know, tell me that I spoke for too long. But uh, <laughs> in general, I think uh, I, I think this notion of finding something spiritual in everyday life or in something that means something to you is really important. Mm. Well, and it's that, again, thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. It's that sense of the relational too. Like if you're running by yourself, you can have that experience where you're like, wow, that whatever it was that spoke to me. But if you add two people or three people and, and the magic is anything, I think more than a group of five plus, it takes on, a, it is so much more than the sum of its parts, you know. 300, you know, Christopher McDougall says today, if aliens were looking down on us from space through a camera watching a marathon, what, you know, watching the Berlin Marathon, they'd be like, what, what are they doing? You know, this is a river of people, and I'm sure it'd be the same. You know? like, so back to that question that I asked you, uh, yeah, do you have a greatest beer ever? Well... You know, I we we do live. I do live in the United States, and uh, we're an IPA craft beer. We're an IPA country, so uh, I'm going to go with Heady Topper. I don't know if you're familiar with Heady Topper, but it's out of Alchemist no. Brewery in uh, in Vermont, and and you, all your listeners should Google it and uh, and go and get it. <laughs> what is it? Is it an IPA or is it a? Oh yeah. It's a double IPA. Oh wow! Okay, cool. So it's definitely maybe get one and so. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 hey, and look, that's all I'm going to say. You, you, you know, I I don't need to, I don't need to say. <laughs> but yes, no, brilliant. Obviously, I've had a lot of beers in my day, but but that one that one is a and and you know runner up is little sip of sunshine out of lawson's finest liquids also in vermont uh, but heady topper and little sip of sunshine those are your beers brilliant fantastic and so well, if, if you do if you if you do ever make it out to new zealand we'll have to take you out to hallatow won't we matt yeah Which absolutely just, just down the road there's a nice forest you can run in and then a, and then a good brewery just down the road well i i, I tell you Paul has been Paul has been urging me to come. I mean, again, I'm friends with Paul from way back. It's just a bad time of year, yeah. you know. You guys, your the flipped seasons and yeah. all that. But you know, maybe when I'm retired from this day job I have, I'll be able <laughs> to get down. But uh, I, I would love that, and I've I've just been honored and privileged to be on the podcast. You guys are doing great stuff, and. Uh, thank you for having me. Oh, you're more than thank welcome. Thank you so much and, for coming on. And to land the plane, we're going to ask you that. You know, you know, the pleasure is ours. Thank you very much. But I'll ask that question. You know, um, AJW, what's been your greatest run ever? My greatest run ever was the 2005 Western States 100. Um, I had run. Uh, I had run the race twice before, in 2001. In 2004, I mentioned earlier how I had to learn how to run a 100-mile race. And in 2005, I showed up uh, fit. I didn't know how fit, but I showed up fit. And I got to Michigan Bluff, which is mile 55, and I was in ninth place. 
I got to the river crossing and the gentleman there with the clipboard said, you know, you're in second. And Scott Jurek just left here 24 minutes ago. And I turned to my pacer and I said, anything can happen. He might twist his ankle. He might fall off a ledge, whatever. And I was going up the hill and one of my, one of my, old friends from the Bay Area saw me, Tom Lyons. He looked at me, he said, oh my God, AJW, you're going to be home in time for the 10 o'clock news. <laughs> so, I mean, that was, the, that was, so 17 hours, right, would have been home for the 10 o'clock news. And in that time, that would have been probably enough to not win the race, but maybe become pretty close to the race. So then I got to winning the race and I got up to the top of the hill and I ran along and and all of a sudden I realized I was dropping my pacer. I was in a zone. I was like I, I didn't even need to drink water. I was pulling stuff off the aid station tables. It, it seemed like my headlamp bulb was brighter than everybody else's. Obviously, I never caught Scott Jurek. I ended up finishing second place. But those 20 miles in June of 2005, I, I wish, I really wish everyone in the world could feel that experience. The euphoria I felt, the satisfaction I felt. The fact that I did not want it to end. I mean, I knew this trail really well, and I was running it faster than I had in training when I had just run the last 20 miles. You know, I was I was completely and totally in a flow, uh, like Mahaley Chikshetmihaly says, I was in an absolute flow state. And I will never forget that for the rest of my life. I hope that one of my sons can talk about it when he eulogizes me at my funeral. Like it was an amazing, amazing day. And, and it's frankly what gets me out the door every morning when I go for runs now that are way slower than that, that are way more sloggy, that are way more just getting through the day. But that experience, having that experience I wouldn't trade it for the world. Brilliant. And then, and then when I got, when I got to the finish line and I passed through the tent and I went in and I, I was like, where's Scott? I want to talk to him. And I, and I went and talked to Scott and he looked at me and he was like, man, I, I felt you coming. I was uh -huh. like, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he, he was getting his seventh consecutive win, and like that was that was my Western States win. Like I never, I never, I got a couple of other close to the finishes. I got a fourth place and a sixth place, but I never was like that close to, you know. And 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 the fact that he just said, "I felt you coming," like it just made me feel like, okay, I can I can die now. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. So that's my best, probably a much longer answer than you wanted, but that's oh, by far my best run ever. No, not at all. That's the 
that's the answer that we want. That was fantastic. Look, Andy, thank you for coming on. Uh, we really appreciate you. It's been such a privilege. And, and you know, take care of yourself. And, um, yeah, we hope to see you in Aotearoa someday. We could take we, – we do definitely for our – per capita, we, we, we punch above our weight in terms of craft breweries too. So, so. <laughs> <laughs> good, good old time. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks, guys. I love how he's just so you use the authenticity word a lot but like his authentic like as it's so lovely to see someone through the lifespan just rolling with it and 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 having a cool time and still they're still yeah. crushing it you know that that 12 hour race that he just ran he was yeah. second well I think at that and just how and the enthusiasm the enthusiasm. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Wish we, I wish sometimes that we had a video version of uh, of our interviews in that we're now doing a lot of them over Zoom. And as he was describing his greatest run, run ever at the end, uh, the way he was using his hands and yeah, he was just uh, really getting into it. Um, yeah, he's so enthusiastic. And and like you know, like I said, I, I wanted to thank him for for his the way he shares that enthusiasm and his mm, knowledge. Mm, mm. Um, it's, it, yeah, he's such a great part of our sport. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, just, yeah. It, I, and again, in the moment that we're in, it feels like, it feels like this is the kind of the, I know certainly for me, this is the conversation I sort of needed to have, mm. you know, it's just mm. a, 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 a fantastic thing, but look, please all take care of yourselves. And yes. um, thank you very much for tuning in to us. We're on social media at Dirt Church Radio, and you can email us at dirtchurchradio at gmail.com. You can find us on all the podcast platforms. Like and subscribe if you fancy, and you can download direct from us, which is dirtchurchradio.com. Don't forget to write in with your greatest run ever. Can't believe that we've, you know, 164 episodes deep. We still get so many of them. Um, apologies a little bit for a, a little bit of a backlog, um, but so we got a lot sent in during, during lockdown, so thank you for that. But keep sending them in. We love to hear from you, and you can read them on our website too, and we can see that people love doing that as well. Absolutely. Thank you to our sponsors, Scott Running, Further Faster, and Cielli. Thank you to our Patreon patrons and Wild Things. Thanks to our editor, Kieran, and we've got another great show lined up for you next week, so please tune in then. Ka kite ano. Thanks, Rigby. <laughs>